Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey, I'm Noah Kostov, and I'm pretty sure that the first letters I ever wrote as a kid when I was about five, six years old were not to my grandparents. They were to Charles Barkley growing up in Philadelphia. And when Barkley would get hurt, I would write letters in crayon to the Sixers addressed to Charles Barkley. And then the Sixers in return would send back media guides, photos, and still at home, I've got a large stack of birthday cards that say, happy birthday, Noah, signed Charles Barkley. I'm Adam Stanko. And... I actually saw LeBron James play basketball heading into his junior year of high school at the ABCD camp. Took my brother to watch him play. I was covering it for a high school sports show at the time. No one really knew who this LeBron kid was other than the fact that uh, he had just come off first team All-American status by USA Today. But nationally, before Twitter, before social media, no one had really seen him. We were trying to figure out which kid on the court was LeBron. Someone threw a pass towards the sideline. LeBron tips it, flies nearly out of bounds, saves it behind his back, tosses it behind his back, all the way down court for a kid to have a wide-open layup. He missed the layup. LeBron rushes back down court and follows it up with a dunk. LeBron has been pretty special ever since. I, not so much. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our co-hosts are on both coasts and they have all of NBA Nation covered. Adam Stanko in the Bay Area and Noah Kozlov in the Big Apple. The Pure Hoops podcast is brought to you by Pure Hoops Media, a new basketball community that you're now part of. Pure Hoops will always give you detailed perspective and a deep dive in storytelling And our weekly podcast will explore the world of hoops from every perspective. In addition to this show, Catch and Shoot, with me, Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko, we also present the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman, and our other show, The Wise-Ass Show, featuring Mike Wise. So if you sample our shows, we know you'll like them, so just subscribe and tell your friends. They'll thank you, and so will we. Guys, explain this to me. So Noah, very first show, I need you to explain to me this James Harden situation. Does he have to keep doing this in order to win? And when I say situation, I'm talking about 17 straight games with at least 30 points. During that streak, Noah, he's averaging over 41 points a game, 9 assists a game, 7.5 rebounds a game, and oh yeah, the Rockets are 13-4. and Does he have to keep doing this in order for them to win? Yeah, well, also his his usage numbers, Adam, are at an all-time high at like 42% a usage rate, which is like almost approaching Wilt level. So think about this. So in this streak of 17 straight, and that surpasses the modern-day record of Kobe, Wilt did it 20 straight in 1964. So as we record this on Tuesday night, he scored 702 points over these 17 games. So that's more points than Andrew Wiggins has scored all season. Andrew Wiggins has scored 698 points all year. James Harden, during this stretch of 17 games, has scored 702 points, the exact same number of points that T.J. Warren has scored. 
That's only 25 points less, Adam, than what Russell Westbrook has scored all season. It's double Terry Rozier who saved the Celtics last year. It's more than triple the amount of points that Draymond Green has scored all season long. And that's what James Harden has done in these 17 games. And Chris Paul has been out for 12 games. And Eric Gordon's been out for eight. Now he's likely, or at least he's been upgraded to questionable about coming back on Wednesday. But what is winning? And for the Houston Rockets, winning is winning the Western Conference. That's what Daryl Morey goes for. That's what he tries to hit home runs with. They can't win with this going on because it's going to be the same story when he gets to the playoffs. James Harden's going to be gassed. He is going to be gassed. There's no question about it. But I think you look at these usage rates as you talked about. Iverson, 2000-2001, just under 36. James Harden in November, over 38%. December, 39.9%. And in January, 46.6%. So even when people think about that Allen Iverson year where he's stepping over Ty Lue, and we remember that overtime victory for the for the Sixers in game one of the finals, even during that year where it was Allen Iverson and a bunch of defensive guys, and everyone was just concerned with Iverson getting his shots, James Harden is playing a bigger role on this Rockets team, and yet it's been effective. And the crazy thing is, he's able to do it every single night consistently. I think he's put himself in an incredible position in terms of his his strength and his stamina. We've seen that. Um, but they do need these other guys to play a role. So so I guess the question then sort of transitions, Noah, what I really think about is does it make sense then for him to still take on a major scoring load but yet also be more of a facilitator when the other guys come back? Is that going to be a successful formula when they do hit the playoffs? No, he's going to have to figure that out, but it's tough to be those other guys because you saw it wasn't really working initially with Chris Paul, and it's really like there's only two guys really on the floor aside from James Harden that almost matter. It's whoever's the screener on the on the high pick and roll, and it's been Clint Capella, and he's doing a pretty good job, but now he's out with that thumb injury four to six weeks, but Capella's numbers, his, his, his advanced analytics numbers have been way down. His plus minus is way down. Everything is down except for rebounding, I think, for Capella this year. So he really hasn't been as much of an impact. You could almost replace him with a replacement-type player, if you want to use a baseball term. And then whoever is standing in the corner to shoot those threes, and Eric Gordon's three-point shooting has been absolutely atrocious. So, yeah, look, James Harden's going to have to carry the load, but other teams will survive with James Harden going for 38, like he did against Orlando, and then going 1 of 17 for 3. Guys, explain this to me. Adam, explain this to me. How did the Celtics recover, given the fact that as we record, they've lost six of seven on the road, and they've got a game upcoming against the Toronto Raptors, and they're feuding? Well, look, we start the other night with Kyrie Irving being extremely disappointed that he didn't get the last shot in a game and instead it was Jason Tatum and the weird thing was it was this passive aggressive message through the media um, which seemed to take a shot at the younger guys and and seemed to also mirror what LeBron used to do when LeBron and Kyrie were playing together as the one-two punch and and Kyrie was Robin and LeBron was Batman and it seems like Kyrie has picked up on that same attitude that same idea 
The thing is, this Celtics team, and I know Kyrie referred to it as these guys haven't done it consistently, they haven't won. This Celtics team won in the playoffs last year without Kyrie. They bring back Gordon Hayward. They bring now Kyrie onto a roster that was successful in the postseason, so they did do it. And an interesting thing for me, Celtics lost to the Nets. We see Jalen Brown take 18 shots, season high. Jason Tatum, 19 shots on his way to 34 points. Second time he took over 18 shots this season. Those guys were dying to bust out. I'm really worried. You talk about how they recover. I think it starts with Kyrie embracing those guys as opposed to pushing them away. And I don't know if he's ready to do that right now because I think there's a lot of egos that need to figure their way out. The younger guys want to prove themselves, and Kyrie feels like, hey, if we're going to win, we got to win through me. And it's a pretty compelling argument because he's done it before, but at the same time, so have these guys in their own mind. And God forbid anyone ever blame Brad Stevens. The guy's got a you know top three talented roster in the league, and right now they're not hosting a first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. So for the first time in Brad Stevens' coaching career, he's got real expectations on him and a, and a team full of five-star recruits. And this is where they are. So I think Brad Stevens got to look at himself and try to figure this out because it's not just about great out-of-bounds plays. It's about making sure that everybody is happy and you may have too much of a good thing because there is a lot of talent and I'm simply, and I'm just not sure if these guys even like each other. Well, I don't know if they like each other. But by the way, that doesn't always have to be the case. Kyrie and LeBron survived without them necessarily liking each other. So I don't know if that's the case. I guess my question back to you is... Is this team, as they're currently constructed, hurt by the idea of, oh, they're one piece away? They have all these parts. They've got, they've got Marcus Smart. They've got Terry Rozier. They've got Al Horford. They've all these pieces, all these talented pieces. Are they hurt by the overall idea they hear all the time? Well, if they trade a bunch of them away and get a, oh, I don't know, Anthony Davis at some <laughs> point. Um, yeah. Does that hurt a team? Yeah, I mean that that talk does, especially when you have, especially when you have young guys, and I and I do think there is in that locker room a sense of Gordon Hayward entitlement that even though Brad Stevens didn't move him out of the starting lineup, that that I think those players feel like that the leash on Gordon Hayward is longer on him than it is on. I'm speaking from from Jalen Brown and even for for Jason Tatum, um, but everybody's got to have everybody's got to have a role. And when you need a bucket, it's Kyrie. But as all good leaders will figure out, and, and Kyrie just hasn't proved yet that he can be a leader. I still go back to the fact that he wasn't there in Game 7. and you know, This nonsense emergency um, surgery for his like for sinus like over Memorial Day weekend, and he's not there for Game 7 in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, he had a deviated septum. I've never heard of emergency deviated septum surgery before. So... Kyrie himself just, I don't think he's figured out how to be a leader and approach everybody because you can't just say something in the public and expect everybody to fall in line just because you have a ring. Guys, explain this to me. So no, explain this to me. How big of a story should this Boogie Cousins return on Friday actually be? I mean, you think about it from the Warriors' perspective, they were inconsistent at the beginning of the year as far as Warriors teams go. But they won 6-7 of seven heading into Tuesday, and even with the 
ambulance in the background of you. Uh, the craziness. It's the, got, it's, well, Boogie got hurt again. <laughs> that's in, what's going in, on. The, that's what's going on. In the New York City. He's in the New York City ambulance. Look, people know what happened. Last year, Achilles injury knocks him out. He's playing the best ball of his career. But Warriors right now had struggled early on. Curse talked about how difficult it is to three-peat, and he would know if anyone would. So how big of a story should this whole thing be? Well, I think it's as big of a story as if the Warriors don't win at all, then I think it becomes the biggest story. Because as we record, the Warriors just put up 51 points in the first quarter against the Denver Nuggets. So it's not like Boogie being there is going to get them to score 52. Maybe they will, actually. Maybe maybe they'll end up scoring 61 since Boogie will be back in the starting lineup with that team. But I think that it's going to be a matter of how does Boogie integrate himself into the Warriors style of play and how... What are the little adjustments that the Warriors make to accommodate the strengths of Boogie? Now, now he's never been in a situation where he's ever thought that his team was going to win. He's never been on a winning team. So, and so when he gets to the playoffs, when you've never been in the playoffs, it's a completely different beast. And I always go back to the first day, the first game that LeBron returned to Cleveland, and it was Cavs, Knicks. And the Cavs ended up losing that game. LeBron was all over the place, exhausted from all the hoopla when he came back to Cleveland. And the microphones picked up on the broadcast. Kyrie Irving, who was an all-star player but had never been in the playoffs, asking Mike Miller, is is this what the playoffs are like? (laughs) Because of the intensity in the arena, Mike's not even close. So, So you don't know what the playoffs are like. But I think it is, as far as regular season stories goes, this is this is. It should be a huge story because you are adding in a bubble or in a vacuum a top 15 player in the NBA to the greatest team of all time already. And consider the fact that they need him right now. To me, that's such a huge point in all this. Damian Jones. You're right. You're right. They don't have someone like Damian him. Damian Jones season over. So we're taking a Warriors team that's saying right now we could use another you know, athletic front court guy that helps us on the boards. And not only are you getting that, you're getting Boogie Cousins. Now, we don't know which Cousins return we're going to get, but by the teasers I've seen from the Eric Newman-produced uh, DeMarcus Cousins documentary that we're going to be seeing on... No, you're, 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 not, you're not getting paid enough to, to promo that documentary. <laughs> you're, you're I will not. promo I, I know you're not. I will promo I it. Not. On Showtime, it's coming up, uh, our good friend over on the Pure Hoops podcast. But... But I do think, though, it's going to be fascinating to see how it works out from a chemistry perspective and as you talk about how it works out on the court because I think both are fascinating storylines. And if there is anyone that I want to see who can pull this off, I mean, who could you pick better than Steve Kerr? Yeah, well, what happens when Draymond or KD loses it on Boogie or when Boogie loses it on one of those guys? I can't wait. I mean, that, that, that's what I'm rooting for. I can't wait. I'm, I'm, rooting for, I'm rooting for some sort of drama. It's the only thing that could bring the Warriors down. I think we both agree. Yeah, but it's also good to have them sweep through the playoffs, too. Guys, explain this to me. So explain this to me. What's the big picture impact, Adam, of, of Anthony Davis leaving New Orleans? Because from everything I've been told, he is already checked out. Well, look, you're talking about an Anthony Davis who's led the New Orleans Pelicans to the playoffs twice. They lost in the first round in 2015, Western Conference semis last season. And we're not talking about the numbers he's putting up this year. And when I say we, I'm talking about the media as a whole. 
People haven't been talking about that kind of year that Anthony Davis is having. Career highs in scoring, he's at nearly 30 points a game, over 13 boards a game. But more than anything, it's what Anthony Davis represents as an icon for that franchise. He is everything to them. So in a word, devastating. It would be devastating for Anthony Davis to leave, and it's, it seems like it's inevitable. So the question sort of becomes, how do the Pelicans then, if they know he's leaving, as you bring up, and I, and I think you're dead on with that, how do they manage what they do for the future? How do they do what Sam Presti has tried to do in Oklahoma City? Small market franchise knows they're losing their all-everything superstar. How do you make that work moving forward? Not just in terms of what you get, but also with the guys that are currently on the team and keeping them involved. No, I mean, you've got to be able to get back a package of guys that at least that you can sell. and Because you know you're not going to be able to recruit a superstar. So... You're going to have to have a bunch of just good players and then see what happens and then maybe pull off some sort of trade where you get a future first-round pick and then you end up striking it rich that way. But, I mean, I'm, I'm looking and – that, and that's even saying that, you know, if, if the team doesn't even leave the city. I mean, that, that could, that's the, the biggest picture there, I think. But I think, the, I think the big picture is the – all right, so if he turns down the Supermax, he turns down a fifth year at $88 million. And then once the, the CBA has got that mutual opt-out in, in 2023, which seems like it's so far down the road, but it's really not. When you have somebody now then turning down the Supermax, then it's, you know, it goes back to the Adam Silver buzzword of his, his first year, which was unintended consequences. And, and this, is, this is that. Like, just the team just didn't win. And a fifth year and $88 million just wasn't enough. And, th- and that's the thing that's going to that's gonna provide the shockwaves is that, all right, well, even all of this money, $88 million isn't enough. We need to figure out something else. I think that's the, I think that is the biggest picture what could happen if Anthony Davis leaves. For sure. If finances aren't enough, and those almost always are, it's dollars, shots, and minutes. And if finances aren't enough, then... What do you do as commissioner? What do you do as a players association? A lot to figure out. All right, Noah, I am super excited to get to Rick Barry. I think he's one of the greatest players of all time. We're both in total agreement on that. But before we do, it's time for a word from Pure Hoops Media. The Catch and Shoot podcast with me, Adam Stanko, and Noah Kozlov. It's just one of three shows from Pure Hoops each week. Make sure to check out the Pure Hoops podcast with Chicago Bulls, OG BJ Armstrong and the aforementioned Eric Newman. Each Monday, we'll also have the Wise Ass Show with basketball journalist extraordinaire Mike Wise. You might remember him from the Washington Post or the Undefeated. Well, Mike is more than just a wise ass, although he is a world class wise ass. And his first show featured 50 minutes. It was a classic with Jay Crossover, Jamal Crawford. You're going to want to check that out right after this show. His stories and guests. We'll take you to places, Noah, that you have never imagined. Check it out each week wherever you get your podcasts. And please, subscribe. Joining us now on the Catch and Shoot podcast, the only player to ever lead the NCAA, ABA, and NBA in scoring. He's one of the greatest of all time. ABA champion in 69, rookie of the year in 66, all-star game MVP in 67, finals MVP in 75, Hall of Fame class of 06, Rick Barry. Rick, you're on a fishing trip. Catch anything good today? 
Well, yeah, we caught fish, just not, nothing really big. I'm actually with Clifford Ray. It was a surprise, simply his birthday trip for him that uh, a number of his friends who I contacted all chipped in to send them down here with me to to uh, Mexico. Uh, we're at uh, the Angler Inn International Place. Uh, we went to two, two lakes, two, two places they have called uh, uh, Lake Picachos, and the other one is uh, El Salto. And so we've caught a lot of fish, but just, you know, nothing of the size that we thought we'd be catching here because it supposedly has some of the biggest bass in the world. But it's always great spending time with Clifford. We're like brothers and dear friends, and uh, so we always have a great time together. You guys talk about when, you, when you're together on the boat fishing, are you talking about the playing days, or are you talking about what's going on now, now in your lives? No, no, we have great times together. We had great times together playing. That was great memories. And we spend a lot of time and do a lot of fishing. We go up, usually go up to Alaska at least once uh, every summer and uh, visit each other. And, and, and well, now in Florida, I spend the winters down in Florida now, so we get to spend time together doing that. And uh, it's just always a special time. Like I said, we're brothers. I mean, his son calls me Uncle Rick and my son calls him Uncle Clifford. It's always kind of fun when we're out together. So you see this big black guy and his big black son and the black son call him. <laughs> This white guy, Uncle Rick, and this white toe-haired white kid is calling uh, this big black guy, Uncle Clifford. So it's kind of fun. You know, Rick, you you go back to your playing days. I mean, you're you're talking about old teammates there. Noah referenced your All-Star Game MVP nod. And I think it's one of the truly great performances back in the day when the All-Star Game mattered um, quite a long time ago. But the competition that you went up against that night – 38 points against Bill Russell, Wilt, Oscar. I mean, even for the young guys today, they know those names. And I think you're one of the more underappreciated stars. I I think you are the most underappreciated player of of all time. Uh, What are your memories from from that night in that that game? Um, Yeah, just so you know, I'm at this connection we're having. It was a little bit hard to hear you, but I think you're talking about the All-Star Game. I have a picture, actually, from that All-Star Game in 1967. I was fortunate enough to chosen the MVP. However, the MVP of our team really should have been Nate Thurman because we went up against the front of Bill Russell, Jerry Lucas, and Will Chamberlain. And uh, Nate was unbelievable in that game uh, and played extremely well. And as, as I've always been a big proponent that all-star games, when they really do mean something, which they don't nowadays, uh, should be that they should have an MVP and an MOP, the most outstanding player and the most valuable. Uh, Nate should have been the most valuable. I would have probably been the most outstanding having scored 38 points in that victory. But I had that picture, as I said, and in that picture, I think seven players are in the photo, and I think every one of them is a top 50 player. At, at what point in your career were you able to to look back at that photo and, and realize the company that you were in? Well, I didn't get the photo until just recently, oh. <laughs> maybe a year ago or something, and I, I this photo popped up somewhere. I said, oh my God, this is an awesome photo. Uh, and so, I mean, a lot of times photos pop up and a lot of times things pop up and on TV, I mean, maybe watching an NBA game or something and something pops up and all of a sudden my name is thrown up on the scoreboard or whatever it is or some record or something. And I, I, I never paid any attention to that stuff. And I said, Oh really? I didn't even know I did that. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, there's a few things that I'm very proud of other than the fact that people ask me things. Yeah, sure. You know, I mean, it's nice to get awards, but it was all about winning the championship. And I got the good fortune of being on a championship team, probably the biggest, I'm no question in my mind, the biggest upset in the history of the NBA finals. Mm-hmm. But you know, some of these records that happened, I, the only thing I take pride in a couple of things was one was that I had 25 rebounds in the game once against the 76ers with Will Chamberlain and Luke Jack, Luke Jackson on that team. 
Billy Cunningham and a lot of mm-hmm. other great players and team that a lot of people pick as one of the greatest teams of all time. And uh, so that was something I was proud of. And then the other thing is I think I still have the record for a forward. I, I had 19 assists in a game and against Chicago in Chicago. And I always joke about it. I said, well, chances are I probably had over 20 because I'm sure that the Chicago statistician screwed me out of a couple. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, I, want to, I want to stick with all-star games. I remember you told me once, Rick, that, you got you got thrown out of an All Star game, or did you foul out? Of no, an no, no, game? no, no. My first, no, 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 no. My first All Star game, I fouled out. It was fouled in Cincinnati. Out, okay. I fouled out. Of, I fouled out of the All Star game, and, and and the official called an offensive foul on me. And one of them, when Wilt came to pick me up, and he said, he said, you warded Wilt off with your left arm. I said, oh, you must be joking. I said, with two feet on the ground, I could use two arms and couldn't ward off Wilt Chamberlain. <laughs> <laughs> And that's and that's at a time when All Star Games actually meant something. And then you know, as a an MVP, that was that was money you needed. Back then, the games meant something. Yeah, I mean, I mean, heck, I think it was it's either two or three thousand dollars for the winning team, and and they know that was like my first year. That was like a fifth of my salary, for God's sake. I mean, so it was incredibly competitive. There was a great pride on the line. And they should have an asterisk next to a whole bunch of records that they have for the All-Star game. Because it's not an All-Star game. They should just call it the All-Star exhibition. Mm-hmm. Because that's what it is. It's just an exhibition. Yeah, Rick, the the way that you described getting money there, it wasn't just about what you did in the All-Star game, though, too. That I know the preseason during that time wasn't about tuning guys up, getting them ready for the season. But that the preseason was also about trying to earn some money and almost acting as a barnstorming tour. What, what kind of things do you remember from, from experiencing in your, in your well, our camp, like now they play game in five days. They're playing games now. I mean, and uh, you know, ours was a month long situation. We, we traveled around, went to small little cities and played games and had a lot of games and, you know, two a day workouts and all kinds of stuff. I mean, now it's, it's a totally different world that exists with what the NBA does right now. And, of course, you know, now everybody charters and, you know, either they have their own plane or they charter and, and, uh, it's a different, different situation. You know, they're in a, they're, they're in the next city after a game, you know, we had to go out and find something to eat and get up the next morning, early in the morning, take the first commercial flight, fly coach and get to the next re- next city to be able to play that night. These guys get there that, you know, late at night or early, you know, one o'clock in the morning or something, get a chance to get to bed, get a good sleep and, and be ready to play that night. So yeah, it's, it's a different world. In fact, I do a whole bit you know, when I do a fun speech and, tell people about the way it was when I played and the way it is today. And people start laughing about some of the things I tell them. I said, I'm not doing this to be selling you to be funny. <laughs> tell me what the truth is. I mean, all these crazy things. I mean, some of the stuff that goes on is just, I mean, it's almost beyond comprehension that, you know, that, I mean, these guys get treated so royally and they get so spoiled. And it just really bothers me when I hear somebody saying, oh, yeah, well, it's tough. I mean, I'm playing 36 minutes a game and, I'm saying, well, well, wait a second. You're playing 36 minutes a game. It's a 48-minute game. Maybe you should only get three-quarters of your salary. I remember one season, I averaged 47 minutes a game. I hated not playing. Generally, I would have, you know, 42 minutes or something like that, I would play the game. And I didn't even like it when I was out for the six minutes. And, hell, back in his day, what they will Chamberlain once I think it was season, averaged over 48 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. He played every yep. minute of every game. Mm-hmm. Never fouled out. <laughs> Rick, when you when you think about the amenities that players have today and what you didn't have back then, what is some of the stuff that you're that you're envious about the fact that they have in terms of taking care of their bodies and the health care? What are some of the things you think about now that would have helped or extended your career, helped with injuries? Uh, I'm not envious. 
God bless them for what they're able to get. I mean, I just know that I know, I know a lot of the other guys were responsible for these guys having the amazing lives that they have because of the no things that they did and the foundation we laid. And so uh, the thing is, is that I, I just laugh when somebody says, well, you guys, you know, you guys couldn't play with these guys today. I said, you must be out of your mind. <laughs> a statement like that. I said, first of all, if we had everything available to us that they have to them when it comes to training, nutrition, all of the other things, strength coach, agility coach, dietitian, all of the other things that they have, travel by charter planes, not have to go ahead and play four games and five nights in four different cities. Hell, one time I played four games in five days, five nights in four different cities, and one of them was the All-Star game. <laughs> I mean, so it's crazy. I said I would be faster, stronger, quicker, have more endurance. I would be so much better, as would all of the other great players that I played with during that time. We would be so much better than we were. People have no comprehension of that and understand what a difference it would be. Plus the fact most of us knew how to play the game the right way and knew what to do with the talent that we have. There's a lot of guys playing in the NBA today who are there on sheer incredible athleticism, and God bless them for that. But they mm-hmm. will never be as good as they should be because they don't know how to use it as effectively as they should because they don't have a great understanding of how the game is meant to be played. And again, we're talking to Rick Barry from Mexico on a on a fishing trip, taking some time out with Clifford Ray to join us here on the Catch and Shoot podcast. Sticking with the ABA, did you ever you ever hang out with Pat Boone, your Oaks owner? Yeah, I knew Pat really well, obviously, because he was the one that helped to try to recruit me. He got sucked for a couple of million dollars that he lost because he thought he was just be a little small piece of the team and wasn't being responsible for it. So it was a very costly investment for Pat. But I've known Pat and seen Pat over the years, and and really terrific guy. Got to his family. Really, really terrific guy. Rick, I know we have you for just a few more minutes, so I want to jump ahead to the '75 Finals. What was that night like after you won? Yeah, well, uh, th- that night was special because we were on the road and tried our radio announcer, Bill King, said he thought it was really the, the best thing that could have happened because otherwise everybody would have been off with their families and things of that nature. And this way was just the guys. We were able to all be together to help celebrate an incredible season and incredible accomplishment, and it made it very special. I know I remember I wrote a poem um, about the season on the flight home, and Actually, it was they. They put it. The, put the poem, and they had Mary Alderman, a guy who used to be a, a guy, and, a, and did some animation stuff. And, and they gave that out. I think at the home opener for the next season. So yeah, it was it was very very special. Mm-hmm. And then they had a huge crowd at the airport in, in in San Francisco, and so they had landed us in Oakland. And then we took cabs over to a remote area in the San Francisco airport, and the crowd was so big. I remember they, they were just nutty. And some guys got up on top of their cab that we were on the roof of, and the, cab, the roof of the cab started to cave in. So it was a crazy scene, but it was still an incredible, uh, incredible experience. Did you still have a copy of that poem? I still have a copy of it somewhere. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, it was called. I call it the Cardiac Kids. Huh. All right. Well. Well. Next time we're together, I got to. Uh... I got. I got to hear yeah, that. Should look. It's probably around somewhere. I'm sure it's probably on the internet somewhere. <laughs> Rick, when you when you think back, uh, you were referring to it a little bit ago about the idea that that the skill level today we don't see the same type of players we were seeing back in the day, especially with all the challenges that you guys had to oh, face. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, hold on. I got to interrupt you. It's not the skill level. And not the skill level. Some of the skills that some of these guys have are unbelievable. It's not the skill level. It's the knowledge of the game. 
knowing what to do with the skills that you have because their skill level is off the freaking charts. I mean, because of all the workouts and stuff they do, bigger, quicker, stronger, all the things they said, the way they handle the ball and stuff that they do is remarkable. It's not that. It's, it's they don't understand the game, a lot of them, and they'll never be as good as they should be because of that lack of knowledge of what to do with the amazing talent that they have. But God Almighty, you can't help but admire some of the things these guys do. No, no question. So when you say that for the average fan out there, what what types of things on the court, basketball IQ wise, are, are you referring to? Well, I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. I mean, like, okay, so how do you use a screen properly? How to set your man up properly to run him into a screen? How to take advantage of your man if he's guarding you and trailing you around a screen? I mean, little stuff like that. I mean, it's just. Yeah, and, and not doing everything off the dribble, having the ball in your hands so that you can have it readily available to make a pass as opposed to everything being done off the dribble. I mean, just the, the stuff of that nature. There isn't a team in the league, and I wish I was still doing TV work. And stuff. They, they, they probably hate me because I tell the truth all the time, but to point out the fact that there isn't a team playing today that runs the pick and roll play as effectively as it should be run. I would put Clifford Ray and myself up against any two players in the history of the game as to how to run the pick-and-roll play as effectively as it can be run. It's appalling to me to watch some of the stuff, the angles the screens come from, the fact that they don't, they don't have communication between the two offensive players to take advantage of what the defense is doing. They cheat on playing screens, and they don't slip the screens. I mean, just all kinds of stuff I can point out. I mean, it's crazy. And, and I, I think you should be doing TV, too. And maybe I'll just... I, I gotta, I gotta make a few calls. Um, we know we just have a few more moments um, before we get to our last question. The Clifford Ray saving the Dolphins' life story. Can you, can you tell me anything more about that than what I've already seen in a news report years ago? No, it's pretty well documented. You know, they, they, they didn't have a tool long enough to be able to get the bolt that the dolphin had swallowed out of its stomach. And so they called Clifford and found out how long his reach of his arm was. And so they sedated the, the dolphin and brought Clifford over and put a big thing over his arm. And he reached down inside the dolphin and pulled out the bolt and saved his life. Yeah. Oh, um. yeah. yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. In fact, you know, he just walked by me on the way. So he said to say hello. <laughs> Uncle Clifford, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Rick, since this is the Catch and Shoot podcast, uh, we, we do like to ask guests, and, and you're our first ever guest. We're delighted to have you. Catch and Shoot scenario, last moment of a game for your life, and you can't choose yourself, who should take the shot in a Catch and Shoot scenario? Um, yeah, well... Um... You know, I mean, Mr. Clutch, Jerry West, is pretty damn good at doing that. Um, and I think they've kept stats on it. The thing about it, people don't understand is that it's a low percentage, the number of times that players make shots to win games when you get down to it. Uh, it's not a very high percentage. So, uh, but, you know, Jerry West was the guy that was known. He was known as Mr. Clutch. Go ahead and doing that. In today's game, uh, well, I'll tell you, it'd probably be, it'd be, it'd be hard-pressed uh, between – Maybe you know KD and uh, KD and, and and Steph, or even Clay. I mean, they're they're, they're all great. They're great shooters, and they, but but Steph can really get a shot, and so can KD with his size. And I don't know if I can say if there's anybody else out there that I would put ahead of those guys, and not just because they're Golden State Warrior players. It's just that you know Steph is pretty remarkable at being able to get his shot off and shoot it from anywhere on the freaking court. 
Uh, and KD, with his size, can get a shot almost any time he wants. He's Rick Barry, one of the greatest of all time. And, uh, Rick, I've always appreciated our friendship. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of the trip. Catch something worthwhile down there. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And, and, hey, you know, the one thing that people don't know for – but actually, you know, Noah's actually a producer on a radio show that I did, and that's how we got to know each other, and he saved my butt because I had to do all sports back in those. It wasn't just doing basketball stuff. And, uh, you know, and so, uh, you know, you, you were you were an expert in, in one of the sports that I wasn't too uh, much of an expert in, so you kind of saved me. <laughs> I'm happy to do it anytime for you, Rick. Thanks so much. All right, well, tell everybody what the sport was. <laughs> yeah, tell uh, us. It was, it was basketball, Rick. No, it wasn't. Come on, you were you were an expert in a lot of sports. Come on, it was it was basketball. All right, so no, you got to tell me about this relationship between you and Rick Barry. Um, I think it's fascinating that you guys have known each other and that you're friends with Rick Barry because you don't hear that a lot. That oh, I'm friends with Rick Barry. I think that's a pretty cool thing that you're able to say. Yeah, it goes back to 2005 when I was producing shows on, we had one season of NBA radio on Sirius XM before the, the long layoff, before it got back into it about, about five years ago. And, uh, and Rick was the host of one of those shows and I was, you know, holding his hand and, and bringing him along on, on these shows. And, he, and look, Rick had done, you know, radio out in San Francisco, KMBR, and he'd done tons of TV. And, but Rick's personality, he was, you know, look, not... He, he had burned a lot of bridges, and, and not many guys were very keen on working with Rick. And, and Rick and I just got along right away. And I understood his personality. He understood mine. And pretty much right away, we became, you know, not just work friends, but then I ended up on his, you know, his email list for this, uh, you know, the junk mail jokes that he that he sends out all the time. And, and like, I, and I get a, uh, I get a card for an email card for every single Jewish holiday from Rick Barry. Like not like holidays that. Like I didn't even know existed. Like I get, I get, I get, hol- I get email holiday cards from Rick Barry, and uh, yeah, you know, getting to know uh, his wife Lynn a little bit over the years, and um, and and in following Canyon's career now in the G League in in Iowa. After uh, I remember hearing about Canyon as as a kid in Denver, he was like a, I want to say like an all state tennis player, and almost like he could have gone to the Olympics and badminton. It's uh, Rick. Rick's is. He's an interesting guy, and uh, and it's it's nice to be able to call him my friend. That is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I'm excited that you were able to get him as our first guest on the Catch and Shoot podcast. No, you won't. Well, look, and, that, and that's all I want to do is, is just make you excited. Uh, and so. you did. And you did. So, so and, and you're going to make me more excited because I know now we're going to talk about what next week's headlines are going to look like. And why, why don't you start it off with the first one? Yeah, so so in this segment, I want to get we'll each uh, we'll go back and forth, and um, we'll end up giving four headlines, and it's kind of like bold predictions, but we're going to give a headline of what we expect to see next week. And here's number one: I expect, I think we're going to see a headline: Sixers snap Harden streak. So I think James Harden will continue to have the thirty point nights against Brooklyn, and then he's going to have it against the Lakers, and then it'll be snapped against Philadelphia because you're going to have Ben Simmons out there and when he wants to defend he can be a world-class defender and also Jimmy Butler and I think the Sixers are going to take that challenge personally what do you have I think that's really interesting and I also think that people do not give Ben Simmons enough credit as as a defender just his size alone makes him a nightmare when guys are tired 
I think next week we're going to read Raptors, winners of eight straight, when will they lose again? They've already won five straight. Here's their next three. At Boston on Wednesday versus Phoenix on Thursday versus Memphis on Saturday. And the biggest thing for me is the play right now of Kawhi Leonard. I mean, watching him against the Wizards, and I know it was the Wizards, but the effort that he was giving after regulation, what he was doing in the overtime periods was special. They This Raptors team is playing so hard right now, and I love their energy, their intensity, uh, the overall team chemistry. I just really like where they're at right now, and I think Kawhi Leonard spearheads it. He's been awesome and I think they are just rolling, and they're not going to stop this week for sure against that competition. That was, that was a pretty long headline. I, I don't think you can get that in, in print. That's that's definitely. Oh, I uh, was thinking me. I was thinking you know new media. It's definitely or a something. digital headline. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's that's definitely a digital headline. You're gonna need like a really big phone to <laughs> fit that headline in. Here's here's my other headline: another players only meeting, and it's going to involve the Boston Celtics. And then the the sub headline is going to be. And Brad Stevens was there too, because I think they're going to get. I think they're going to get smoked by Toronto, and then all of a sudden, this thing is is going to be close to combusting, and everybody's going to have to talk it out. They might be yelling at each other. They might even fight, and that's something like Richard, Richard Jefferson mentioned in his Players Tribune article about. And I, I suggest everybody read that about a fight that he had with Kenyon Martin, and he accidentally hit Aaron Williams in the face because he ducked his full on WWF. <laughs> but I, I think. I mean, look, and maybe they need that. Something needs something needs to happen, and I think that's what's going to happen after they get smoked by Toronto. What do you think it would take to get Brad Stevens on the hot seat? No, oh, uh, an actual match to be lit to be lit on his seat on the bench. No, he's he's not going anyway. I, I didn't think so now, but just just something to to think about. Uh, my headline for next week. Why don't the Suns like Zion? Zion Williamson, obviously, everyone's choice now for the number one pick in the NBA draft. And it was presumed for a long time, and I think people still do think that the Suns are tanking. They've been trying to tell us they're not tanking, and I'm seeing signs that they are certainly not tanking now, and they're ready to actually win some games or at least be a lot more competitive. Devin Booker's returning. Kelly Oubre has been a recent force offensively. DeAndre Ayton is playing really well. Uh, people don't understand his potential as, as a post guy with all the attention that Luka Doncic has gotten. Ayton all year has been a 16-10 and 10 guy, but he's starting to rev it up. He'll be more consistent as the year goes on. And Josh Jackson now playing 30 minutes a night. He's been a big-time contributor for them over the last few games. So you, you put in the the defensive play that they sort of want to attack with, which will be questionable with Devin Booker's return. But I do think the Suns are going to show signs that they are not tanking, and it's going to upset some Suns fans. But um, sorry, you're going to have to deal with it. This team is going to try to be competitive now. Well, trying and then being competitive are, are two different things. It's fair. I mean, they might, they might, they might try to win, but they might just simply not win enough games. The Bulls are trying to tank. The Suns, I think, are not trying to tank. And I think we'll see that come to fruition as, as we go on. They're going to win a... Understandable. 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 All right, you ready to go off the rails? Let's do it. I think we're about to go off the rails. All right, so every week we want to... Uh, we don't just want to talk hoops. We actually want 
you all to get to know us. And, and not every off-the-rail segment is going to be like this, but you know, we'll talk about our families. We'll talk about every, anything else going on in our lives. I, I thought about talking about the fact that my apartment smells like salmon, but it was worth it because I used the cast-iron skillet and crispy salmon skin is like bacon of the sea. It's great. Maybe we'll do that one week. But this week we wanted to do most embarrassing moment. And... I go back to senior year in high school, and it's actually a story I've told at a wedding at my buddy who's involved in this story, my buddy Josh, and, uh, and I was talking about how much you trust you know, one of your best friends, and uh, senior year, Spanish, we'd all gotten into college already, it's second semester, we're sitting there in class, and this is uh, public school outside uh, in, in suburban Philadelphia, and, uh, and I look over at my buddy Josh, and like we were both wearing sweatpants that day, school, and I look over to Josh and like, and Josh's pants are around his ankles and he is sitting in class in his boxers. And I look at him, I'm like, I'm just like, my mouth is wide open thinking like, dude, I'm looking at him mouthing like, what are you doing? What are you doing? He's like, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. And me being an idiot, like, all right, yeah, sure. Like, all right, if Josh is doing it, yeah, why not? So I pull mine down and then, so I'm sitting there in my boxers and t-shirt and as I do that, I don't notice Josh has pulled his up and Josh goes, Senor, Senor, what is Noah doing? His pants are down. And there I am sitting in class with my pants around my ankles. Most embarrassing moment. Wow. Wow. Have you repeated it since? Uh, not in class, okay. but I mean, okay. my pants have been around my ankles. Just curious. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know, I didn't know sure if it would become a thing after yeah. that. So. No, hell no. <laughs> a thing. Get out of here. A most embarrassing moment turns into a thing. Uh, my most embarrassing moment, uh, my children, I, I have three kids, 15 and 12-year-old daughters, Avery and Bella, and then my son Hudson's uh, about to turn two. And uh, my daughters love to tell this, this story about me. I'm in seventh grade at a sleepover. This kid's name's Rich, and uh, I did not know him all that well. Slept over his house. His mom says, hey, we were sleeping on bunk beds, and the mom says, you, uh, you guys can't talk, lights out. And he said to me, whispers, well, we could still pass notes. So somehow we were passing notes, and as seventh grade boys, all that you're pretty much thinking about at that time are uh, the girls in, in your school. So we were writing crude notes to each other about the girls that we liked, and I, I remember Carrie Williams was, was the girl. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say her full name, but... Um, I guess there's enough of them out there, so it doesn't, doesn't really matter. But I was writing about her and, and uh, passing notes back and forth. And the next morning, Rich says, I'm going to burn these notes, but first I'm going to uh, throw them into a safe because we don't have time to do this now. So I get picked up. I go back to my house, and all day long I'm thinking, I hope he burned those notes. They were humiliating, embarrassing. It's, it's you know, the, 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 uh, the tweets that come out now from, you know, the 14-year-old superstar, you know. Um, so I, I am uh, at home, and I get a call from the neighborhood bully on Rich's street. Not from Rich, but from the neighborhood bully who says, hey, I'm at Rich's house right now. I found your notes. And I said, oh, what are you talking about? And he said, well, I came to the house, and I told Rich that you guys were probably up to something. And I said, what? So Rich gets on the phone and says, I'm sorry, he guessed the combination of the safe. So, <laughs> so that next day in school, I was terrified. And I'm thinking, okay, well, it, it can't be that bad. I'm convincing myself. He's going to maybe tell people, I'll deny it, no big deal. Um, I kid you not, Noah. I walk into the cafeteria, 
and he had passed out the notes all over the cafeteria no. and signed my name on them. No. Including dropping some in her book bag. What? It was the most awful, hardest, embarrassing day. But it does lead to a good punchline. Fast forward about a month later, Carrie Williams running for school treasurer. She's walking through the cafeteria, <laughs> passing out dollar bills with her face on them, encouraging people to vote for her. She gets to our table and says, well, I know Adam's going to vote for me. <laughs> so it had a happy ending, at least. Uh, did, 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 did you ever kiss Carrie Williams? No. No, I, I did not. Are you, are, you, are you friends with Rich? No. No, our, our friendship ended shortly thereafter. It was uh, an awful human was being. pretty much the end of it. Oh, I understand he wanted to impress the bully, but... Uh, yeah, I still won't ever get over. He uh, guessed the combination to the safe. Those words yeah, will guessed, stick with me forever. the combination. It's awful. Noah, this oh, has been uh, this has been a blast, man. Oh, it's been uh, it's been something, pal. <laughs> it's been uh, it's been something. I'm looking forward to uh, I'm looking forward to next week. We'll we'll have our podcast here on uh, Pure Hoops Media every Wednesday, and so I suggest everybody subscribe to this show. Rate and review it. Leave five stars throughout the, uh, the the history of our podcast. We'll start reading the five star reviews on the show, so that then you can get even more pub for yourself. It takes thirty seconds. Click five stars. Write a review. Also, make sure so that's our program, the Catch and Shoot podcast. Also, do the same for the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong, Chicago Bulls, and Eric Newman, and then the Wise Ass Show with Mike Wise that comes out uh, every Monday. It's been, uh, yeah, it has been enjoyable, and I'm looking forward to uh, the Weekend Hoops. Yeah, and, and Noah, I want to thank you for being an awesome partner this uh, first episode. I'm excited about the journey. also want to thank our producer, Bruce Bernstein, as well as Jeff James, uh, and the whole rest of the uh, Pure Hoops team. This, this stuff's getting edited out. Don't worry about it. Okay, we'll edit it's that out. Getting edited out. We'll edit that out. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.